God goes forward with his people and we pick it up in chapter 15 and it sounds a lot like things we read in Leviticus and there's a reason for that. It says this in chapter 15, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you've come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or a freewill offering, or in your appointed feast to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or the flock, then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hint of oil, and one-fourth of a hint of wine as a drink offering you shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb. Or for a ram you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hint of oil. And as a drink offering you shall offer one-third of a hint of wine as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And when you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a peace offering to the Lord, then shall be offered with the young bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with half a hint of oil. And you shall bring as a drink offering... And you shall bring as the drink offering half a hint of wine as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each young bull, for each ram, or for each lamb or young goat. According to the number that you prepare, so you shall do with everyone according to their number. All who are native-born shall do these things in this manner, and present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you, or whoever's among you, throughout your generations... And would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. An ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. And again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I bring you, then it shall be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor. So shall you offer it up of the first of your ground meal. You shall give it to the Lord as a heave offering throughout your generations. In these first 21 verses, like I said, it seems like we're almost reading something like we read earlier on when we went through the book of Leviticus. I want to draw your attention to this phrase that pops up in verse 2, and then later it says, when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit. And then later on, again, it says it in verse 18, when you come into the land to which I bring you. This is pretty cool if you think about it, because 600,000 soldiers were rejected for not believing the promises to go into the land. And everyone over 20 who were stumbled by their bad report is not going into the land. Therefore, it's a, just a basic logical deduction. The people that God is speaking to here is everyone under 20. Now, some of these people will be almost 60 by the time they go into the promised land. But at this point, they're under 20. Which is very interesting because as God is speaking, there's a broad audience of 2.5 million people listening, but the vast majority of them have already been rejected by the Lord. They're not going to respond to the Lord. They don't have the capacity to respond to the Lord. They're not interested in responding to the Lord. And they're under his wrath. And so the majority of people that are there right then listening to this message, it's not for them. I only heard Pastor Chuck Smith at Calvary Coast Mesa teach this once, this statement. And I've shared it a few times with you guys. But in the parable of the soils, there are four responses. The word of God is the seed. 
And the first soil, it's plucked up, it takes no depth, and the birds of the air snatch it away. And Jesus himself interpreted this parable and said, that's the devil. Just rips it right out of someone's heart, right away. The word of God just rips it out. The second one is someone who has no depth. And I'd have to say, we're finding out right now who's got depth in the church of Jesus Christ in 2020 worldwide. They had no, yeah, we're finding out what we're made of, and, and there's no depth. They had no root. You know, they didn't know the word. They didn't go deep. And so it sprung up with joy, like, oh, it's great serving the Lord when it's uh, favorable with society. But if it's suddenly not favorable with society, we didn't sign up for this. That's how a lot of people look. And church history shows this to be true. For example, during the Boxer Rebellion in China in the early 1900s, when the communists came to power, the boxers, of course, were communists. And they were reds. And they killed a lot of missionaries. And they killed a lot of professing Christians of the Chinese people. And it became very apparent who was really going to stand for the Lord and not stand for the Lord in 1901, 1902 during the Boxer Rebellion. And there was a lot of people that recanted their, recanted their faith because they, didn't, they weren't willing to stand for the Lord or whatever. And the Boxers were eventually overthrown. But of course now Mao Zedong is, and everything he did with China and the CCP, they're the global power right now, it would seem, and even here in our own country. So it is what it is. So we all find out whether it's communist or whoever it is persecuting Christians, if we got depth or not. And they had no depth, that soil, that parable. Then the third one was the cares of this life. And we've talked about this during COVID this year, how it's all become so simplified. The distractions of life, like there's so many things that distracted us. And for me, the biggest gain in 2020 is the loss and the clarity of things that do not matter, that are simply just, they don't, they don't matter. They're just distractions. And I'm realizing how much time I wasted and how it was the most valuable asset we all have and how much of it was idle and just frivolous and just missing the point on a lot of things. And I've tried to clean that up. And like Paul says to the Ephesians, redeem the time. And not to worry about finances and all these things. And, you know, I've taken care of my father. I, I manage his stuff. We've had to be involved in helping my father-in-law, who, of course, passed away just a few months ago. It, there's just been a lot. And these things could, when you worry about estates and trust and people and these things, and you have things that you're looking out for other people, it, it, can, it can consume you. And certainly with all that's gone on in, in 2020, People have been concerned about, do they still have their income, uh, modified income? I know they're closing the restaurants in Los Angeles Wednesday. Officially, it goes down where you cannot have indoor dining uh, again, I think. I lose track of what's going on between the state and counties and whatnot. But there's a big uproar in Los Angeles with restaurants because a lot of them have gone under anyways. And the ones that are still around, now they're back to they can't have people indoors. And you would worry about things. You would have the cares of this life that would, would tie you up and that would be tough. And so we're finding out. We're finding out who's going to stand strong with the Lord if they lose everything. Like Habakkuk said, though the, there's no herd in the stall and though there's no grapes on the vine, I will yet praise you. And we're going to find out who can do that. And that was in Habakkuk's day. But then the fourth soil is the fruitful one where it says that person receives 30, 60, they receives the word of God with joy and they, they produce 30, 60, 100 fold. That person receives the word of God and multiplies the crop. That's a good crop. And what Pastor Chuck said about that is that if you're a minister, it was very interesting that he said this. He said, if you're a minister and you're teaching, you might presume everybody hears what you're saying like you're saying it, but that's not true at all. And he said, you shouldn't think like that. If 25% of the people are hearing what you're saying and receiving it and producing good fruit, that's, that's about the best average you could hope for. Vernon McGee, who's been with the Lord for a long time, used to say the hardest people to reach are the people in your congregation for the gospel. 
I remember being at Calvary Vista where a woman got up and shared her testimony how she went to the church for seven years, sat under Pastor Rob Salvato's teachings for seven years through the Bible, and realized that she wasn't saved at all. And all of a sudden, something clicked for her. She realized that she needed to be converted. Much like John Wesley, when he was on the ship uh, going to the colonies to be a missionary for the Anglican church, and the Moravians, the Germans, the ship was going to go down. And when your ship's going down in the Atlantic, it does kind of weed out what your faith really is and he had no peace an organized professional minister and these monrovians who are being persecuted in in prussia and germany they had all kinds of joy they're just praising the lord we're like like some of us tonight like hey the trumpet's going to sound and that led john wesley to a saving faith that he realized he didn't have a saving faith and so we're all being sifted and when you think about it we're always going to be a minority those that truly enter by the narrow gate. There are going to be lots of people that go to church, but when you really get down to it, the sheep and the goats will be separated, the wheat and the tares will be separated, and they both function together during the timeline of the human experience. Jesus said so. So here in this text, I find it very interesting that there's a multitude of people, but very few are hearing it. Like Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And how often did Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying? So this message that we just read here, when you come into the land, immediately tells us who's qualified that he's speaking to is everyone under 20. Because anyone over 20 is not going into the land. When you come into the land. And what he's doing is he's reloading. It's a reboot. It's kind of like in sports where they kind of, you have a team that just never comes together and they just break up the team you just kind of as they say blow it up and start all over again you reload you reload your franchise or you have a, a company a franchise a starbucks a 7-eleven whatever it just didn't work and you just kind of you clear it out sometimes you have to just clear out management things like that god is reloading with his people right here he's skipping an entire generation says it is what it is and now his focus is on the next generation. And it's like he's looking at everyone under 20. He says, okay, we know they're going to die in the wilderness for their infidelity and their unfaithfulness. They didn't understand my heart. So I want you to understand my heart. So let's go back to the basics. When you come into the land, you're going to have the sacrifices, the burnt offering, the peace offering. He's right back at Leviticus. You, next, next, next in line. Who's next? You guys, next generation, step up. All right. In case you weren't paying attention, Leviticus, when we come into the land, when I keep my word and bring you to the land, you're going to do worship this way. You're going to keep the sacrifices. You're going to get a chance to obey my word and do things right with me, even though your parents chose not to. Isn't that awesome? This is why we need to always have an eye for the future and the next generations. We just have to always be sensitive that church history, the history of people of faith in the Bible from Cain and Abel, Abel having faith, to this day, in the various covenants of the church right now, is God's always doing a new work. And that's why, even though getting older, I have a great anticipation and expectation of heaven and eternity for me. I, I'm with grandkids today, looking at one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds with an anticipation of what God wants to do in their life, in their timeline. So, Zippy, when you come into the land, when you walk in the promises of God, and when you're of age to make your own decisions and uh, comprehend what God wants to do in your life, you will obey the commandments of the Lord. You will walk with the Lord. When it's always about that next generation, God just keeps moving. And he who has ears to hear, her who has ears to hear, let him hear and let him go forward. That's what we need to do. We need to keep moving toward the end of this year, toward the corner, turning the corner in 2021, and be people 
who, when he says, when you come to the land, because I intend to go into the promised land, and the promised land isn't Israel. The promised land is the kingdom and glory. And when you come into the land. So that's what we, that's what this reminds us of, that God is faithful. And just because X amount of people reject his promises, cast off his word, and refuse to submit to his word or let the word reign over them, it doesn't negate that God is faithful and he's going to keep his promises to those who will align their hearts and lives in obedience to his revealed word. That's why, that's the thought process behind Hebrews where it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. And so no matter what a society is doing, and ours has done things that no society has ever done in such a short time period, he has not changed. And so our application is keep our eyes on the promised land. Keep our eyes where we're going and let the, let the good word produce 30, 60, 100-fold in our life. Let's be those people that are hearers and doers of the word. And not only that, but even older people who look upon the next generation and want to equip them and instruct them in God's faithfulness that as he was faithful in my generation and even faithful currently, that he'll be faithful in their journey. Because see, I look back on a journey of 33 years of God's faithfulness. Something very interesting too, by the way. This I gotta share this. I've never shared this because I never knew this. But this last week, I finally went through some of my mom's stuff. You know, when people pass away, it's hard to go through stuff. If you know, it's very emotional and it just rips you apart. Like, I mean, it rips you apart. And when we sold my mom's house of 40 years, I ended up with some containers that I knew were my mom's stuff and I'd never gone through them. My mom saved every card I ever wrote to her. She had like a file for every child, my brother, my sister, and I. And in that file of mine she saved every note or letter I ever wrote and there's actually a letter from when I was 16 and I ran away to Hawaii uh, I, I, I I ran you know I, I left I stole my college bonds money from my dad when you're 16 in 1975 you could go to the bank and cash your college bonds with no ID you could get on a plane and fly to Hawaii with no ID and that's exactly what I did and I wrote my mom a letter and she said and I said uh, I said God's got his hand on my life. I can't even believe I wrote this. I'm quoting Genesis, Joseph, a fruitful bow from Genesis 49. Like, how do I even know that verse? I mean, I was raised Catholic, but how do I even know that verse? Like, I was looking at this letter going, Lord, your sovereignty and election on my life has been over my entire life. I'm running away to Hawaii to go surf pipeline, to be king of the pipeline. And I'm telling my mom, I'm not going to go to boarding school. And you don't need to ch- tell the school I'm gone because I haven't been at school for seven weeks. Uh, and I know it was the seventies. You could, yeah. Um, and, but I just thought like many a call, if you were chosen and, and, and God does have his hand on our life. And as you get older and you look back and I can talk with Sam about lessons or Alex about lessons that I learned in Vermont 25 years ago, I can declare God's faithfulness to a younger generation. We can, and we're told one generation shall proclaim your praises to another and our testimony becomes something that encourages the next generation. And, that, and that's really what God's doing here. He's encouraging the next generation. That's what he's doing. And that's exciting to me. And, you know, I got to say, this time with Clementine being out from Denver, Colorado, our, our granddaughter and Wilkie. Wilkie, of course, is younger, like six months. Uh, yeah, about six months. But Clem's moving in on two. And she's talking so much more. And, but I just want to, like, stop. Clementine, let's pray because they're very involved at Calvary Chapel Aurora. They're in the Denver region. And so, Clem, let's pray 
and thank God for our food. Let's thank him for this day because one generation shall proclaim your praises to another. And this is the next generation when you come into the land. So again, for let's say we're over 20. Hey, the rest of these people don't want to go. Make sure, like I said Saturday, you're Joshua and Caleb. Hey, we're, we're going in because God promised it and we believe it. But we also want to see the next generation. If you think about what did Joshua and Caleb do for the next 40 years? They led by example, they trained, they encouraged, and they raised up the next generation. And that next generation is the one that went into the promised land 40 years later. And if you think about it, that generation arguably is the most fruitful generation in the Old Testament with the Lord. Joshua's gen- that generation that conquered the land, divided the land, and took, took the tribes, got different tribes, went out with more faith than others to do what God called them to do, but they were amazing. So... That's the kind of mindset that I see when I see this text, that God reloads, he reboots. Many are called, but few are chosen. He who has ears, she who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we want to stay focused on not all the white noise of people dying in the wilderness or the consequences of their rebellion, what it's bringing on them, an entire generation and even a nation that's under wrath, but that we are going to enter into the land the promises, all the promises of God, and we are going to equip the next generation behind us to do the same with fresh opportunities from the testimony of our past for their future that they can live their journey of faith. And they can learn that Jesus is the author and finisher of their faith, and they can trust in him on their darkest day, on their most joyful day. Because I've said this many times, Jesus is above our highest mountain peak, and he's deeper than our lowest valley. And many of you know that and would testify of that. So the next generation, you just, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one ordinance, one law, there's one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? You see that? It's just like, that's there too. That's a whole other part of the study. There's one way, like one law, one ordinance. Hey, Jews, Gentiles, if anyone be in Christ, it's one law, one way, one ordinance, faith in Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, now it carries on a little bit here, and we get a cluster of passages that deal with unintentional sin, presumptuous sin, actual sin happening, and then something to restrain sin. So let's, let's look at this before we move forward into Korah's rebellion in chapter 16. If you sin unintentionally, verse 22, and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinances, the ordinance. And one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and that shall be forgiven them, for it was, it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering and offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all the people did it unintentionally. If a person sins unintentionally, now instead of the congregation, it's an individual, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When, this, when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. But... The person who does anything presumptuously, whether he's a native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord. He shall be cut off among the people because he's despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Now, 
While the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation. They put him under guard because he, it had not been explained what should be done with him to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp, and they stoned him with stones, and he died. And again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners. And you shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So as I said, there's four segments here, all dealing with sin one way or another. So the first one, unintentional, collectively, everybody. So like we all just did something that uh, unintentionally, a group of people, and we just did it unintentionally, not realizing, and but not a, not, not a sin against men per se, but against the Lord, like just whatever it might be, who can know, but it's there. Or individually, but it's unintentional. And we talked about this. We had a whole study on this where God looks at the heart, right, recently, where it's unintentional. It's not like we woke up like, hey, I can't wait to do some evil that I plotted today, like many other people on the planet. But, like, it's just one of these things where it's, it's not what I intended, but it went that way, and I feel terrible about it, right? That's unintentional sin. And there's a lot of grace on that. That's where grace, that's where grace is properly applied. When you're like, wow, I just, man, I, gosh, how did that happen? And that's, that's where grace is properly applied. But where grace is not properly applied is when someone is plotting evil and then quotes scripture and they, they're, they're hurting people and they're doing things against the heart of God and they're misrepresenting the heart of God. There's no, that's a, well, right here you can see there's not a lot of grace for that. That's a misunderstanding of grace that, oh, God wants me happy, so I'm going to di- divorce this person or, or whatever. You know, like, well, those people ripped me off and God wants me to have justice, so I'm just going to steal the money back. Like that. That's purposeful, willful stuff, and that's not how God works. And that's malicious. That's presumptuous, as the Bible says. And so presumptuous sin is not good. That's when you plot and plan how you're going to get back at somebody, how you're going to execute some great evil, some sinister plan. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people in the church that go to church who do that. So obviously, we don't want to be those people. And if you're here on a Tuesday night before Thanksgiving, I don't think that's in your heart and your tent. But don't be surprised that it does happen. Then there's a the guy not keeping the Sabbath, which is interesting because, of course, it's offensive to the Lord. It's actually it's a type of blasphemy if you think about it because, first of all, they're told to keep the Sabbath. And what's interesting here is this guy just like, yeah, I'm going to go out and pick up sticks anyways. He has no interest in the word. He has no desire to obey the word. He cares less about God. This is very different than the people that touch the dead body. Remember the people that touch the dead body? They touch the dead body and they can't keep Passover. They're like, dude, we want to keep Passover. Moses, can you go talk to God in the tent? And, you know, we want, like, God knows the heart. You think, like, why do you think touching a dead body would be more offensive, perhaps, to the Lord, based upon what we went through Leviticus? But God's like, no, there's a plan B for that because he knows our heart. But this guy, there's no plan B. This guy's got a wicked heart. And that's it. He's done. And there's a distinction. Like, if you're a person of covenant, there's accountability. Plus, God rested on the seventh day. He created the universe in six literal days, and he literally rested on the seventh day. And these people were under a covenant to do the same, to honor it, not to be a burden, but to be refreshed with the Lord. And it's like, what part of not working on the Sabbath do you not understand? And so often, you have to deal with things right away, because if you don't, then they spread. If you don't deal with issues in the church, 
early on, they'll spread. The policy of appeasement with sin never, ever works. The policy of appeasement with pride and these things never works because the flesh is never satisfied. So you have to deal with things. And so often we see, particularly in the beginning of the nation of Israel, God's like, we got to deal with this because if this happens this way, then it, it degrades and lowers it for everybody. See, Jesus is a glorious Savior to those who are saved from their sins, but if people don't think they have sin, and they go to church and think they're worshiping Jesus and have an emotional experience, but they don't recognize their sin in their life as being sin, how is he a great Savior to them? He's a great Savior because he'll save his people from their sins, it says in Luke. But if you have sin, and you think God made you perverse like that, and you say that's not sin, and you want to worship Jesus, it's a very shallow worship. A great Savior is greatly worshipped. Or as the woman said to Jesus, the one who's forgiven much, or Jesus said to the woman, the one who's forgiven much loves much. And so whenever God deals with somebody, you should just do this. Take a step back. Let God be God and let us be us. That's, you know, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, but the secret things belong to the Lord. And like he said in Romans 9, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll harden whom I've hardened. And I've never had a problem with that. Some people do. Please don't. God's in charge of his universe. Billions of stars out there doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And he knows the hairs on our head. Let God be God. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? The thing formed, who formed it? No. And God is light, and there's no darkness at all. And God is good. And whatever he does is good. And that's part of learning to trust in the Lord. And right now, I'll be honest for me, I've had days where I'm like, Lord, I don't understand what's going on right now. I, I, don't, I do not understand what's going on. I'm pretty upset about some things right now that I'm seeing. If all this stuff comes to fruition, well, obviously we already know there's been, it's already proven there's plenty of election fraud and ineptitude. But if the massive fraud's there, it's so disheartening. Like, it's probably the most deflating thing as American citizens have been alive to think that our election's not valid. I mean, it's, I know you relate. It's just so deflating. And anyone tries to address it, then they're, they're shamed, they're canceled, they're threatened. I mean, this is like the Soviet Union. This is horrible to watch this. And I feel like, God, uh, why? How long, the Lord? I feel like Habakkuk in chapter 1. Like, why? You know, why, why, why? And the Lord's like, that's nothing. Just, I'll do a work in your day. They'll declare that you won't even get it. So just, just trust in me. But we just got to like, I just end up, just have, I got to let God, I got to give it to God. I can go for a couple of days, I feel pretty good. It's like, that's all, it's all good. And then something's like, man, I just can't believe things are going like this right now. I feel sick. And, and, but then I just realized like, God can do anything he wants anytime he wants. He can do anything he wants anytime he wants. And because men are evil doesn't mean God's not righteous. And because men walk in darkness and do things in the dark does not mean that God walks in the dark. God is light and him is no darkness at all, morally. We just got to keep that in perspective and keep that in mind. So if he wants to, if he says someone's done for picking up sticks, they're just done and stay out of the way and let him do what he does because he's God and we're not. But then he tells the people who are obeying, hey, listen, put the blue thread on your tassel. And what is it for? A reminder, a restraint. You see that? It's a restraint. Like we need restraints. I'm not a tattoo person. I know lots of tattoo people. Um, It's too late for me now, right? You know, but... But I understand when people get a tattoo that reminds them of something, like, this is my tattoo. Like, this was, like, you know, someone they served in the military with and they died in Afghanistan or something like that. Like, well, yeah, I get that. Or whatever. Like, mom, you know, even the, you know, even the mom, you know, it's like, I get it. You know, we love mom. But um, this is like a tattoo. 
God's like, hey, put a tattoo on your, on your, on your, on your robe of tassel. You need to see something every day that reminds you that I'm the Lord and you want to obey me. It's like the, the bracelet everyone had, you know, WWJD, like that kind of the same idea. Like that bracelet is a reminder like, hey, you about to blow your gasket at work. What's the bracelet say? I know that's what Jesus would do, but this is what I'm going to do, right? But it's, it's a restraint. Sometimes your wife's a restraint for you men with godly wives, right? Like you're like, I was like, no, no, don't go there. Don't go. I was like, not, 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 not. You know, of course, I always said my wife would, when the boys played Little League Baseball and I get worked up, Jennifer would call me pastor. That was the code word. Because she, ne- like, she would never call me that, right? Like, <laughs> she's like, pastor? Like, that, that was like a, a completely different language. You know, like a, a, a language of a whole other universe. From wife to husband, like, hey. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> And I'm always kind of defensive. She's like, you call me pastor? That ump is squeezing our kid on the mound right now. I, I got your pastor right here. I'm Little League Dad. I'm going to blow a gasket right now. <laughs> but, yeah, we need, we need restraints, the blue tassel. So we should ask ourselves, what are the restraints? Of course, the Holy Spirit's a restraint. The Holy Spirit will restrain us. We know the still small voice of the Lord will restrain us. But we need, we need to put boundaries around ourselves. We need to know where not to go. Like, you got a drinking problem. You don't go in a liquor store to buy a lotto ticket, right? Especially over and over. You just, there's certain restraints that we, the idea is restraint. Like, the idea here is that God's saying, hey, put some restraints there that restrain you from doing things that you'll regret and putting yourself in a place where you could go in a bad way. And that's a good word for all of us. I don't have the blue threads on my tassel there, but I, I get the idea. So now we come to chapter 16. And we read this. Now, Korah, the son of Issachar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, was Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, and On, the son of Pelath, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take the censers. Uh, this, you know, the censers are like a stick with the, the, the incense there on the top. Take the censers. They look like tiki torches. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all of your company. Put fire in them and put the incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So see, the Levites wanted to be priests. They wanted to step up. Like they're, It's a silly comparison military, but they're, they're enlisted and they want to be officers. But God gives the, gives the rank and file, and they, just, they, want, to, they, want, to be the, they want to be the generals. Verse 8, then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you nearer to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all the company are gathering together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up is it a small thing that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you, shall, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So this is the opening act of this scene. It's Moses and Korah. So right now it's Moses and Korah. 
The Lord's going to get involved here very shortly, but it's Moses and Korah. So again, the context is these guys are all over 20. They've been rejected by the Lord. They're, they're like religious people. They can quote things about the Lord. They can talk about the Lord, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. And it's all twisted. And that's what happens when people go to church and they're not born again and they're not taught the word of God. They just get weird. They've got community without the cross. They want the blessings without the blood. They want the spirit, but not to forsake the carnality. That's who these people are. And they want to run things too. It's a fascinating thing in church history that so often very carnal people are the ones that think they should be running the church. <laughs> it's, a, it's a paradoxical thing of the human experience. But what did James say? Not, let not many be teachers because they'll receive a stricter judgment. And I remember about seven years ago being at a pastor's conference in Tucson where Skip Heisig was teaching from Albuquerque, and he talked about that in the last year that 85 the number was astronomical. It was like, it was over 15,000 men had left the ministry that year because of discouragement. And in that case, 85% of their wives wanted them to leave the ministry. So they didn't have a good helper by their side either. And what the point was, the book, the book was Jeremiah that we were studying that year at that pastor's conference, is that the ministry can be so discouraging and just so gut-wrenching and heartbreaking to watch people wreck their lives. And when we talked about Moses' Ethiopian wife, how she married a man in the last third of his life who's got to deal with this congregation. She signed up to be a pastor's wife for a man in his last third of his life to stand by him and encourage him in leading a flock like this. Trying to reach the next generation when you come into the land, but you got, so you look at the young people, hey, Buck, when you come into the land, and then you got older people, whoever they are, where it's like, they're like, hey, you take too much on yourself. We should be running the church. We know how to run a church. Oh, Really? You know, because to be a shepherd, you got to be under the chief shepherd, and we're going to give an account, 1 Peter 5 tells us, so be really careful what you, what you want to do. I never cease to be amazed by people who want to be shepherd or shepherdesses who are devoid of the fear of God and do not believe the word of God. What an accountability awaits them for all eternity, and there's no coming back and there's no redo. And this guy, Korah, and these guys, man, they're, they're bad news. They're carnal men that want power, and... Notice the exchange. Moses says to them, uh, is it a small thing that, that, you know, is it a small thing to you that God has separated you to be the Levites? Like, is that not enough? Isn't it awesome what God's allowed you to do? Is it a small thing to you? Do you despise, do you despise the goodness of the Lord like a small thing? And look how hardened these guys are. They come back with a similar line. He says, oh, is it a small thing that you brought us out here and not given us milk and honey? And we, you took us from a land of milk and honey. See what happens when you're skewed and you're thinking like Egypt was slavery and bondage. How's that milk and honey, right? But when you're given over in unbelief and you're given over in darkness and you're given over in fear, it nothing good becomes evil and evil becomes good. And suddenly Egypt looks great. Pharaoh was a great boss, and uh, Egypt wasn't such a bad place to live. Leeks, onions, you know, cucumbers, it's all good. It all gets twisted. Oh, never mind. They fed your male boys to the crocodiles in the river. Like, it all gets skewed when, you're, when it's wrong. And these guys, but just how they, they go, well, is it a small thing? Like, can you, can you see the, like, sassiness there? Like, wow. Like, Moses is telling you, is it a small thing to just, isn't it good enough to be a Levite? Like, to be involved in the service of the Lord as a, as a calling? Well, is it a small thing that we not come to the land of milk and honey? Wow. I'll tell you right now, it's going to tell us in the text, I'll tell you right now, preview coming attractions, get away from their tent real quick. Yeah, get away from their tent. But also we get the first 
usage of Moses where it says, verse 4, he fell on his face. So this is so grievous and such a direct attack on Moses and his family, he just falls on his face. Have you ever had something in your life that's such a strong attack on you personally that you just literally want to fall on your face? When you've been falsely accused at work or wrongly accused in a family situation or wrongly accused in a community or something, you just, you just want to fall on your face. And this context is an attack on you where he's like, oh God, I can't do this. We're like, you just, you're, you're kind of like a, a gut punch. And you're just like, oh man, Lord, oh God, please, oh Lord. And so he tries to reconcile and reason with, with Korah. Oh, Korah, please, is it a small thing, dude? What's wrong with you? You get to be a Levite? You get to carry the lumber for 20 years and have the carts and the tent, all this good stuff? Walk behind the Ark of the Covenant? Is it a small thing? Is it a small thing to you that we're not in the land of milk and honey? Wow. Moses falls on his face. We already saw he's the humblest man on the earth. <laughs> he's the humble man. We read also he's the humblest man on the earth. He fell on his face over this conflict. So if you ever fall on your face over conflict, you got good company. Because it's so grievous. And then it goes on in verse 15. Then Moses was very angry after he said that. Because they said, we're not going to come up to you. They're like, you know, who are you to tell us to come to the office or come to work? We're not going to come to work. We're not going to go to the tabernacle. Who are you? Moses is like, oh, man. So we pick it up in verse 15. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord. Now he brings the Lord into it, right? Because it was this, it was Korah and Moses, but now the Lord's, now Moses going to the Lord, which is what you want to do. He's very angry and said to the Lord, I do not respect their offering. I, I've not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer, put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with the censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Then they, now it's Moses and Aaron, then they fell on their face and said, O God, the God of spirits of all flesh, so one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation. God will love the heart of Moses right here, yeah? And Aaron? So they fell on, Moses fell on his face alone the first time. Now he falls on his face with his brother Aaron. And God's like, I'm just going to, it's just going to be a brush fire on everyone right here. This is crazy. Why we, let's just, I'm just done. And, and Moses says, well, are you going to, for one person's sin, are you going to get everybody else? In other words, Korah is the problem. L- let's, you know, like, Korah is one thing, but the rest of these people is another. And so we pick it up in verse 23. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the congregation, saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan, Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sin. So they got away from the, around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Dathan, and Abiram came out and stood at the door in their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But... If the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. 
Now it came to pass, verse 31, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up with their households, all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all with them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, and they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy. The censers are holy. And scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. Because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer the incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said through Moses. What a heavy story. Unless for any reason you're thinking otherwise, this happened. This is exactly the way it happened. They were buried alive. Signs and wonders. The earth opened up, and these men and their entire families were, were consumed. It's like a giant, just wow, there it is. It's like some end of the world movie, right? Just there it is. Opened up, they fall in. Then they're covered up, and the 250 guys who were led by this rebellion of Korah, they're consumed by fire from heaven. Like some type of fire, whatever it looked like, however it was, they're consumed. So the men that were leading it, they are swallowed whole in the, in the ground with their wives and children. Then the men who look to be leaders with the censors following these higher leaders, they're consumed. And meanwhile, the people are just running every direction not to be caught up in it. It's just, obviously, it's, it's a whole study on like, think about who you're following. What voices are you listening to? What's the fruit of their lives? What motivates them? Where are they directing us? Where are they leading us? What, what, what's their... What's their fruit? What's their message? And these guys are just bad news. And it's just so sad. But the saddest thing is to look at verse 27 where you see if they're out there with their wives and their children. And they, they lost it all in one day. All of it. The children lost their opportunity to live a life. Their, their, the sin of their parents had such a profound effect on them. And there's nothing new under the sun. This happens. There's a lot, there's a lot of parents whose bad decisions cost our children their lives and their futures. And it's really sad. We just got to make sure that we aren't those kind of people and that we're willing to encourage and help people who might be those people and trying to grow them not to be those people. There's, this is such a sad story. But if you're going to raise your hand against the Lord and the Lord's anointed, this is what's going to happen. And if you're going to blaspheme against the Lord and you're going to be discontent, you're going to complain, you're going to grumble, this is it's not going to be a good ending. We pick it up in verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you've killed the people of the Lord. Unbelief can be so contagious. Let me just say this. Like, fear, and I keep saying this, is so contagious. There are some, I, I just feel like on this planet right now, and I, I'm going to limit myself to like 20 seconds here to say this. I just feel like so many people have checked out common sense and critical thinking right now, and I'm stunned by the sheer folly of how the masses are thinking right now, they've checked out on science, they've checked out on facts, they've checked out on common sense, they've checked out on faith, they've checked it, and they just, they've gone to this place of like an asylum in their minds. 
And I just can't, I can't understand it. And I don't think you can either. And God forbid that we would, we would go there. God gives us critical thinking. And, and he gives us his word by which we can test all things and hold fast what's true. It's hard to watch. But when, when you're in fear, you make, and you're in unbelief, you say weird things, you do weird things. And there's a lot of people saying and doing weird things right now all over our planet and particularly in this country. And we just have to like take a step back and just, hey, when you get into the promised land, just forward, up, forward, onward, and upward. So they said, you've killed the people of the Lord. It's so delusional. Verse 42. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in from the altar, put incense on it, take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded, ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the core incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. So for the third time, Moses is on his face. It's like a three-day sequence, right? Because the first day, he's on his face. When Korah says something, he falls on his face. Then they're on their face when it's all going down, and the earth's going to open up and swallow them up. Then they're on their face the day after when the people who saw this somehow in their twisted thinking blame it on those who are walking with the Lord, blame it on people who are part of the blessing, not part of the problems. And for the third time, they're on their face pleading with God for the people. We do see that they're forgiving, right? You notice that like Moses is very forgiving. Like they're interceding for the people and God's retracting and who knows what the Lord might retract from if we continue to pray and continue to intercede for our nation, for the church, and for everybody. We, we don't know. Time will tell. But they, but they fell on their face for a third time. But in this chapter where wrath is happening, judgment's unfolding, people are facing the consequences of their sin upon themselves, their marriages, and their children, we see the people of God who are serving the Lord, that they're on their face and they're trying to do the right thing even on behalf of the people who are wrongly accusing them. And therein is the closing application of the night. We just can never let bad standards change our good standards. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. said, I prefer love. Because hate only begets hate. And it's a challenging time and we need to be on our face. We need to keep doing the right things and not let other people's evil and bad decisions move us from what's good and godly decisions.